Didn't look too bad, does he? I wonder what he'll do when I turn him on. Would you like me to give you a name? Tony? Charles? Charles. <laughs> Charles? Charles. You like that name, do you? Hello, Brian. Hello, Charles. It's lovely to meet you. This is incredibly overwhelming. Imagine me and you. I do. I never thought I'd make anything as amazing as Charles. You built my body. I built his body. And my tummy is a washing machine. That's big. And it's too quiet to be a player. Are you saying what I think you're saying? Are you there, David? Are you there, David? Maybe a temporary reassurance that indeed there is no beginning, no end. And you find yourself struggling to comprehend a deep mystery. another schlock and all quickie review. As usual, I'm Lindsay Wilkins. And this time around, it's going to be a myth report, a Melbourne International Film Festival. For those who don't know what this is, this is essentially uh, South by Southwest, Khan and Sundance all rolled into one. It's essentially nearly three weeks, I think, of just movies. Uh, you can go up to see 270 films playing at the moment. This is a time if you're a film fan living in Melbourne, you do not sleep. Now, they have the equivalents in Sydney, Brisbane, and I'm pretty sure Perth, but I know there's a Biff and a Sif. And yeah, as I said, this is a time where you don't sleep. You are literally going to movie theatre to movie theatre, getting up, holding the movie, running out the door, bolting to the next venue where they're holding the next movie that you're going to see. It is the most deranged yet amazing time of the year. Uh, I know people who can see up to 50, 60 films in this time. I think I'm going to be clocking maybe around 30. Maybe not that much, um, but it's amazing. Uh, we haven't had an in-theater myth for uh, two years, three years, for obvious reasons. And I've been really looking back to get into it. So this is going to be what I've been seeing for the first round. As I said, I'm seeing a lot of movies. But first, I'm just going to run through a couple of new releases that I also managed to sneak in. Did I tell you I haven't really been sleeping? Yeah, I saw Bullet Train, uh, which is the David Leash, Brad Pitt on a train, Aaron Taylor-Johnson. Uh, yeah, look, it's I had a lot of fun with it. It's dumb. When you're getting into a David Leash movie, you kind of know what humor you're getting. And it's Pretty popcorn dumb. Uh, very Tarantino, very Guy Ritchie. In fact, Aaron Taylor Johnson was my favorite part of it, which is very rare for a movie that has Aaron Taylor Johnson in it. Uh, and yeah, look, it's a good time. It's the fight scenes are great, but it's not exactly. Yeah, it's fine. That's kind of what I think I'm c coming down to the more I think about it, which isn't that much. I also saw 
Nope, the Jordan Peele uh, movie. Why Australia got this three weeks after everyone else, I don't know. But I finally was able to see it. And yeah, Jordan Peele's a really good director. That kid has promise. Uh, look, I think Nope has some amazing uh, set pieces that I absolutely love. Uh, I don't want to get too much into it, but when this movie really wants to kick into a gear, it really kicks into high gear. But I think this is the movie where Jordan Peele's ideas kind of overtake everything else. Now, usually I don't mind this. I mean, one of my favorite directors is Wes Craven, and his movies can get very messy from him wanting to put all these ideas in. But when you're making a very specific Spielbergian spectacle-type movie, you really need to give your characters an arc. And even though I think Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, and especially Stephen Young are all really fantastic, but actually anything Stephen Young and uh, Young and Gordy are absolutely amazing. Actually, if the whole movie was just Gordy, it might be my favorite of the movie of the year. Uh, but it's really interesting. I think Nope is a really interesting movie that makes you think as it's going. And I think that's Hill's intent, even though what he's getting you to think about may not be as deep as what the movie thinks it is a little bit. But in saying that, the set pieces are absolutely worth it. And then this morning, I had a little bit of time, so I finally caught up with uh, Dan Trachtenberg's Prey. Yeah, it's awesome. What are we going to say? And the Mid Thunder is really great and holds this movie together. I really love the design of Predator. It looks He looks a little bit more insecty this time around. Yeah, really great movie. I mean, just the show-don't-tell element. It's all about hunting, and it really leans into the landscape and how different people hunt, and especially between the Predator, the the Native Americans, and also the, I think they're French or British. I'm like, I don't know. Anyway, the colonizers who got their ass whipped. Um, yeah, I mean, Predator whipped out a shield while people were shooting at him like he's goddamn Wonder Woman. I mean, it's an astounding piece of genre work that um, has some, that is building towards certain things and has something to say about the broader environment, which it's in. And that's kind of perfect for a Predator movie, even though, full disclosure, I'm much more of an alien girl. I think the alien franchises misses are more tend to be more fascinating to me personally. Uh, but that's just a really completely divergent <laughs> divergent, and we might as well get into me not as I said, I have did I mention I have not slept. So yeah, let's get into the Melbourne International Film Festival. Because there's been quite a bit. Uh, the first thing I'm gonna mention is a movie by uh, Jean-Luc Hubelot. He's a Congolese director who made a movie in Senegal called Salom. It's a great supernatural uh, thriller horror uh, mystery mishmash, six different genres in there. So yes, I kind of really love it. I really actually wish it was longer than the 90 minutes uh, only because I really wanted to dig into the mythology of it more, but it's a really strong movie. You'll have an amazing time. The cast is great, all amazingly good looking. It shows off the Senegalese landscape beautifully and it's got some really nice surprising moments and some really nice set pieces. I would definitely check that out. Actually, before I forget, I do want to shout out the cast names. Uh, Jan Gale, uh, who is the lead, is really incredible, but you've also got Bruno Henry, Evelyn Eilly, and uh, Roger Seller, and uh, Mentor Bar. They are all really great. It's kind of like this heist movie gone actually no heist, heist is actually kind of a word for it as well as I said there's six different genres going on in this thing and it's only 90 minutes 
it's jam-packed. They could have fleshed it out, but they didn't. Uh, the next <laughs> of it is uh, two movies by the same director. Um, Goran Stovaleski, I think is pronounced his name. He's, uh, I think he's a Macedonian Aussie, has been busy. He made uh, You Won't Be Alone last year and this year of an age. You Won't Be Alone is about a Macedonian witch who likes to hang out with people. It's, I know it's getting billed as a gothic horror. I don't, it's not very horror-ish, even though it is very much about a supernatural witch, witch who can transform. But it is more about the emotional journey. In fact, it's a slow burn movie that reaches a emotional crux, not a horror crux. But it is a, uh, I really kind of fell into it, even though there's a lot of uh, shots of foliage, which started to get on my nerves. And he loves a close up of a face. So if you don't love close-ups of faces, this is going to annoy you. And his movie of an age, which he made, which is coming out this year, is really going to annoy you. This is starts off in 1999 Melbourne. Where in Melbourne? I have no idea. They main drop about 10 different suburbs. It is about a young man who has a very, I think I'm just going to read the synopsis, has a very, very intense 24 hours with his friend's older brother. It is a beautiful queer love story. I loved the performances. It is It pretty much centers around a Serbian-born um, kid who's very awkward, queer in a family that will absolutely not accept him. And he kind of falls in love with this, with this guy. And it's supremely awkward. It really kind of, uh, it is uh, Elias Anton and Tom Green. Not that Tom Green, a different Tom Green, a T-H-O-M, uh, as the two, two guys. It is kind of catches that moment in 99 where no one had cell phones and the kind of difficulty of trying to call around your parents when you're a teenager, which brought me back because this is what you had to do. Added to the bonus that this is 99 and everyone had dial up. So good luck getting through to anyone. But it captures that magic. Ah, there's something beautiful about Elias's performance capturing that awkwardness of not wanting to leave a situation that you know you should kind of left about three minutes beforehand, but you're still sitting there is something I know a lot. It's like you want to keep the conversation going. I really did fall in love with this movie when I was not expecting to. This was a last minute addition to the beginning of the festival and I had an absolute blast. Uh, the next one I'm going to talk about is a true crowd pleaser. And that is of course, Brian and Charles directed by Charles Archer uh, about a, a Welsh man who builds a robot in his shed and then proceeds to raise it. This stars uh, David Earl as uh, Bryant and Chris Haywood as Charles Petrovsky, which he says a lot of. Uh, this is actually a reincurring character from uh, some of Ricky Gervais's uh, afterlife shows. He comes in, he's a very awkward man with very big glasses, tells very terrible jokes. Uh, but this movie is a, kind of the truest sense of crowd pleaser. It just is very sweet. It's very warm. It's not trying to do anything else than make you smile. And the humor really does work. It's very gentle. It's very humanistic. I love a small town British comedy and Byron and Charles, because it's set in Wales, uh, in a small town in Wales, absolutely does that. Charles Petrovsky, the robot, is hilarious, especially when he goes into his adolescent phase and starts being a real smartass. It is. Yeah, this is just a warm kind of little hug of a movie. It's kind of slight, 
for some reason, the whole thing is meant to be through a mockumentary, like in like The Office or Parks and Rec, but when they forget about it really quickly and so it's no point. And I kept wondering why no one's asking or why, why they edited out, why people are asking why someone's following Brian around. I don't know. It doesn't quite work to the story. I think it's purely there so there can be narration without the being narration. Yeah, I saw the new uh, Quentin Dublas movie, Incredible But True, and if you've ever seen anything like Deskin or his rubber, uh, you know I don't know how to describe this movie. Um, come for the time travel, stay for the exploding dick. I, I don't know. It's fun, it's quirky, it's, a hunt, it's an hour 15, you'll have a good time, and it's... Uh, I Actually, you know what? I'm not going to say anything. Just go watch it and see for yourself. Uh, I did see... A couple of documentaries. First, Moon Age Daydream, directed by Brent Morgan. I went to worship at the altar of David Bowie and I wasn't really that disappointed. It's a gorgeous collage of a movie that is really trying to capture the essence of what David Bowie was, which is a hard thing to nail down because every decade, decade or every few years or so, he would just change his personality. Not really his style of music, though I guess his 80s sellout as far as the Cat Ben Gold, I guess is kind of that, but that seemed very 1950s innocent, but it was 1984, so that kind of worked. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, it is a, I saw this in IMAX, so the sound design did actually blow up my ears, but for an experience of just watching images on screen to meet different kinds of music and different kind of over things of David Bowie interview, because it's all him. You don't get other people talking about Bowie. It's Bowie and it's in his own words. And it's a beautiful experience. There's a real Fantasia quality about it, because all it is is it's a mixture of film, music, pop culture references that Bowie could have just used as his own influences or just to, as a reference point or to give deeper meaning to what he's saying. It can change. It's mercurial. Uh, I really loved the perform the um, the concert scenes. I think they were incredible. I actually did forgot how much of a performer David Bowie actually was. I uh, also, after Moon Age Daydream, went to another music documentary, and that is Jerry Lee Lewis' Troubled Mind, directed by a solo Ethan Cullen. Though, as I watched it, I was sort of wondering, hang on, isn't he married to a quite good editor called Trisha Cook? Yes, he is. Hmm, yes. Of course, she did edit this movie. So it feels more like a collaboration between the two of them. Uh, because as mind-altering and philosoph the philosophy, I can never say the word I want to say when it was philosophical. Yes, yeah, I can't say it. Trouble in mind feels kind of rigid, only because of the subject. Jerry Lee Lewis was a consummate performer. He had some really astounding tricks when he played, like kicking back the piano seat, standing up, doing this thing where he's pretty much waving his hand up and down above the keys but still hitting the right keys without looking at them, which I think is, well, quite frankly, just showing off. And he would do this over and over again. And he saw interviews the same way. So unlike Bowie, who's very like, oh, today I'm a a person from the 17th century, so therefore all my philosophy is going to stem from that and how I create music, or I've literally consumed nothing. 
but capsicum's milk and uh, cocaine. And that is where my mind is going. Geraldine Lewis is same five stories told over again very, very well. He's kind of like the sketch comedian Peter Cook, who was uh, Dudley Moore's uh, comedic buddy uh, from, from Beyond the Fridge fame. He was an amazing sketch comedian. Sucked at everything else. And I got a sneaking suspicion when you took away the piano from Cherry Lee Lewis, he kind of sucked at everything else. But as, as I was, and it's frustrating because this is a man who married his 13 year old cousin and as an answer, he said, well, technically she was 12. She turned 13 the next day. Doesn't make it better, Jerry. You should still have been arrested. And so he, he's not going to give much insight into why he does what he does. It's all about the performance. So on that level, trouble in mind can seem very, very shallow. But the more I was watching it, the more I started noticing the editing, which is really good. And it helps me married to an amazing editor. Trisha Cook actually did edit the bulk of uh, the Coen Brothers' work. I know she definitely did the likes of Barton Fink and all those kind of things. So um, really good editor. And the more I noticed kind of the moving on of the same story, but told in a different kind of time, that kind of thing. But then I also noticed where they were juxtaposing different things. And I could be reading a lot more into this because I was still in a transcendent Davy Bowie's end mood that I think this is Ethan Hawke trying, not, not Ethan Hawke, Ethan Cohen. Ethan Hawke also directed another movie, which I have not seen yet, the, the last movie stars. Sorry, I've got much of Ethan Hawke on the brain, as I always tend to do. Uh, Ethan Cohen, it felt like he was trying to see if he could separate the man from the artist, even if this was abs absolutely possible, because we need... Never meet your heroes, I think is the thing I'm trying to say. As much as the Bowie documentary was not about a documentary on Bowie, but more on trying to capture the essence of Bowie, Bowie had his darkness. And I think when you're looking at a complete person and their art, you need to look at the light and the dark, especially in historical context. Jerry Lee Lewis had some shit that he probably never dealt with. And as, as his actually, he's still alive. Motherfucker's still playing after a stroke. But it's very this, this process of, okay, I admire the performer. I think this, he's an amazing performer yet he was a dick. Can I separate both those? Can I separate this element? And I think you kind of do see this in the Cohen's work, which makes me think that he's kind of where the snarky, do I even like the characters, the impish kind of maybe more sense of humor, if you are comparing uh, Trouble in Mind to uh, Brother Joel's Macbeth, which is a lot more uh, dense kind of material that you're working with. Yes, yeah, Shakespeare absolutely allowed humor even in his tragedies, but it's still Macbeth. So you're not going to see the, that kind of um, impish humor, except when Stephen Root is on, on screen in that movie. Yeah, so I was just kind of watching when he would juxtapose things in. I mean, there's, a, um, and I think I started to really like the movie, um, even though people were just getting into the music in my screening. But I was just like going, okay, so as soon as you see the performances, then you'll get a sequence of him, and a headline of him being arrested, an actual interview with his third ex-wife and cousin. Seriously, he was, this was his, his 13-year-old cousin was his third wife. Um, and I was sitting there trying to put the man together 
in my head and I couldn't quite do it. And I don't think Ethan Cohen, not Hawk, um, is actually doing with the help of his, this very, very talented wife. I think this should be co-directed personally. Um, so yeah, I'm going to leave it there. I've been seeing a whole bunch of other stuff. I even saw a, uh, Takashi Miike because at a festival, you want to see certain big directors. Uh, and as much as I have never completely clicked with Miike, even though I, I will always go see his new movie. Um, my final song was not a, was a comedy. I did not expect that. I didn't mention I go on blind to these movies. I don't even watch a trailer. I just kind of pick titles or directors out of a hat and then just kind of go for it. But yeah, Myth has been an amazingly fun time. I still have another week, uh, so there'll be another Myth update of what I've kind of been seeing. Um, I've got some bigger directors coming up. I have a few randoms. I'll maybe maybe put in some of the vintage movies I've been watching this week at the festival. But yeah, it is an amazing time. I love it. I always discover so much and learn so much about film every single time I watch it. And also, shout out to uh, B. Jemine, who I have been annoying at the festival because we've been showing up at a lot of screenings. Hey, buddy. How's it going? So nice to meet you finally in person, and I hope I'm not too annoying. Uh, anyway, I'm going to leave it there um, and come back with another myth report when I've gotten some sleep. Have I mentioned I haven't slept? Anyway, if you want to follow Schlocken or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Schlocken or one or reading geek on Twitter and also on Letterboxd. And I will be back. All right. Thanks guys. Bye.